Hello, everyone. You are listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Railing. I am Jordan Hall, and as always, I am joined by the wonderful Taryn Hatcher and the dynamic Joe Fordyce. We have a very special podcast for you today because Taryn sat down one-on-one with John Tortorella, new Flyers head coach, for a really, really awesome interview covering various topics. We have it all for you right here. Let's get right into the interview, and then we'll talk about it afterwards. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. First things first, you mentioned a lot in your press conference, I remember, about the logo, the emblem, and, and how much that was something that resonated with you and the history of it. What does the Flyers emblem mean to you? Well, it's... Uh... I go back to the the old days as far as just how hard they were. Um, the personality the team had back in the day, um, just how the organizations perceived. Uh, not right now, I get I get that, but it was it's just a first class organization, and I I, I I just think it the way they used to play it matched the city, mm-hmm. and that's something that is really uh, intriguing to me. Do you think there's a way to bring back the idea of that culture, the toughness of that culture that very much resonates here in Philly with kind of the blue-collar mentality that a lot of people in the city still have in today's NHL? Yeah, it's it. you're not going back to the Broad Street Bullies. You're not going back to those type of games. But I do think there is a there are certain cities that you can play to. I think Boston's a city. I think Chicago is a city. Uh, and Philly is top of my list as far as playing to the personality of the city. Mm-hmm. I, I respect the city because of just what you said. Hardworking people, uh, you know, it, it's just a, uh, it's a straight ahead city. You know, you have something to say, you're going to say it to me. I have something to say, I'm saying it to you. And it, it, it it's something that's really interesting to me. I, I just want our team, uh, uh, you know, you gotta, you got to look at the makeup of the team, but I think you can have a team toughness. Uh, a team hardness to play this game. I think that's how you win, is being a difficult team to play against. So that's what I want to try to kind of develop within us and and something to be proud of. Uh, I want our players to to have the camaraderie of of going through those experiences. And I want to join in with the with the city and the and the people that are watching us. When you say play to the city, and I know you just touched on towards the end of that answer how what that looks like to you within the team how do you plan to implement that is it something that you have a strategy for and tools you've accumulated over the years or is it something you gauge and read and react yeah the latter it's it's my stomach Uh, (laughs) it it is it's my eyes and it's my stomach Uh, we're going to go as camp starts we're going to go through some experiences uh, exhibition games uh, some of the it's a high volume skate camp. There's a there's a lot of mental and physical tests involved in it. 
I think when you start going through those experiences, you start forming or you start seeing the people you want to form your team with. Mm -hmm. uh, some people you may not want on the bus. Uh, they may fall off. It may, maybe it's too hard or, or it just doesn't fit. Those are decisions we have to make as coach and general manager. Uh, but I, I, there's no plan. There, there, it's going to be a, uh, uh, it's a hard camp. Uh, and not so much it's hard physically, but more mentally. I want to see, uh, you know, who gives, who doesn't. And that's when you start seeing what you have and what you're trying to build. And uh, I, I think you can, uh, I think you can get a mentality uh, of Philly within your team. Uh, I, I want us to be able to uh, go into cities and have a team say, you know, this is going to, it's going to be a tough game. They're coming. And it uh, doesn't happen overnight. You're going to be mad. People are going to be mad because they see this or that, the other thing. It's going to take some time to go through it. But that's kind of my vision as far as where we go. And I don't think there's a better place to do it than in Philly. There's a lot of talk about, because of what you just said, that it's, there's going to be nights where people are mad. There's going to be nights where it's not perfect and it's not fixed in mm -hmm. an instant. There's a lot of talk about you as a person being a great fit for this market in terms of everything we just talked about, what Philly is. Say it to my face, I'll say mm -hmm. it to your face, mm -hmm. that, kind of, that kind of approach. How do you think you as a person, your character, your morals, your values, the way you approach life and coaching and hockey and everything, how do you think that fits here? What about Philly excites you from that viewpoint? Yeah, just, uh, just coming here, as I've been in the league a long time, coming here as a visiting coach, uh, Bobby the Chief Taylor bringing me out uh, when I was in Tampa, when I was a young coach there, bringing me out to restaurants. And uh, just being here and, and, and being in the city as you're a visiting coach and, and seeing the people. I mean, Philly has been a nemesis for me with some other teams that I've coached and uh, played a playoff series uh, back in 2004, mm -hmm. uh, a really good, hard series. I just feel it. Uh, you know, I... I I've experienced the people. I haven't experienced them day to day. There's going to be days that they're on me. There's going to probably be quite a few days that they're on me. But that's what I like about it, is that they're going to hold you accountable. And uh, I, I like the, the strength of it, you know, uh, that they have and what they want. Then I look at the other end. What happens if you win? Mm -hmm. You know, what's the city like then? That's kind of the the picture I see that you're trying to get to. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I can't, t I can tell you some stories about my experiences here. I can't say it on TV, but it, it endears me to the city because of, of the passion of it. Yeah. We love to lock horns and we love to hug it out. Too, yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it's a, uh, all right, let's go. Let's arm wrestle. You know, yeah. it, it is, uh, that's somebody buys you a beer if you lose, like yeah. that's kind of how the city but if, goes. But if sure. you're honest and you go at it and you face the face and you're doing it, yeah, at the end, you do have a beer together. And mm -hmm. that's, why, that's, what I, uh, that's what I've experienced. That's what I want to be involved in. And I want our team to kind of play to that. So you mentioned 04. I'm sure you're going to mention 04 a lot today. You're going to yep. be asked a lot about that, that series uh, when you were with Tampa. And that exchange, the shut your yap exchange. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes, um, yes. What stands out to you or, or the first memory that pops into your mind when people bring up that, that 04, that heated exchange, and everything that came with it. Yeah, and, and, and Ken Hitchcock is a very good friend of mine, and was back then, too. 
Uh, I just didn't like them yapping at my players. And uh, uh, what, what comes to mind, I think about that particular instance as far as what that happened. We were leaving our building when I was doing the media. We came to Philly, and I remember going to the next game. We got off the bus down there in the uh, – you, you go up a little ramp there, and, the, and there's the still – yeah. yeah, the loading dock, and there's people there. They, they, my players got off. I'm always the last one to get off the bus. My players got off. They really didn't say too much to the players. But then when I got off the bus, I heard stuff that uh, I can't repeat here, and they were throwing stuff, and – and I did. I, I said to Jay Feast, my general manager, I said, this is just great. You know, it, it, it's, it's where you want to be entering a game like that. And I don't blame them. They're sticking up for their coach and their team. And I remember that and uh, uh, just the intensity of it. Um, it's a different game now. That was the last series that you could really play the game the way it used to be played. Mm-hmm. I think we had a strike or a lockout the following year, and then the new rules came in. Uh, it was it was a hard series. It was uh, two really good teams. If we played that series now, there'd be ten penalties a period called mm-hmm. because of the way the game was played back then versus now. Different era, but I still think there's principles of how we played then that can still be brought to our game today. Well, and to that point of the way the game used to be played and the way it's played now, and there's lots of young players on this team that are from even a different generation than the 25, 26, 27-year-olds. Yeah. When you talk about the Joel Farabies or the Bobby yeah. Brinks of the world, it's a different generation, and they grew up in a different almost type of hockey. What is your response to, to the criticisms of people who think that you might not be the best guy prepared to develop a culture for those players yeah. or to develop those players in general? Yeah, I, 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 I can't, I, I can't, I'm not going to chase perception. I'm not going to live my life that way, worrying about what people are saying about me, especially in a, in a business when you're out there and you're answering questions and, and you're kind of letting, you know, you're speaking and they make judgments on that. I, I'm not chasing it. Uh, I am, I'm going to let my work uh, my relationships with the players uh, explain who I am. Uh, uh, people, uh, listen, I- I've made mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes here too. And uh, it's a game of mistakes for both the players and coaches. I'm going to do the very best I can to push my athletes to be the best they can be. I want them good citizens in the community. Uh, what people think about me and some of the things they see on YouTube and all that with some intensity involved with it, I, uh, I'm not going to worry about it. I, I know I have a good heart. Uh, I know I have empathy towards players. I would not be doing my job if I didn't push the athletes to an area that they're not comfortable. When that happens, there's conflict. Conflict is healthy mm-hmm. because there's honesty. If you handle it, you become closer, and the camaraderie is that much stronger. So that's how I'm going to go about it. So you talk about chasing perception. The interesting thing is when you work in, in TV as an analyst, you don't really have to worry about that perception, yeah. at least not in that perspective. I talk to Keith Jones about this all the time. I yeah. s- would you ever want to be behind a bench or at a front office? He's a no, no kid. It's so easy. I just sit here and I talk hockey, and yeah. no one wants me fired, or at yeah. least not no one that really is going <laughs> to get me fired. Why re-enter an arena where the criticism is so much more magnified and especially in a town like this where 
you talk to former players and they're like, fans walk up to me and they talk to me shift by shift. It's yeah. not even about my game. People yeah. really yeah. are plugged in here. Yeah, it, it, it's the challenge. I, I, I spent a year out, had a blast at ESPN. Very fortunate, have lifelong friends there. We'll bleep out the ESPN part of it. I'm sorry. No, 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 <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're going to keep going. You're good. I'm um, just but uh, I, I am, I've been in it a while. I'm, I, listen, I'm on the back nine here as far as coaching. I, I just, I missed the locker room. I missed everything, the challenges of trying to get athletes to play, get them to do it together. I missed the pressure of, of the media and the people wanting more from you. Mm-hmm. I, I want that I want that juice. I I'll, I I want the criticism when it when it's it's supposed to be there. I want the good stuff when it's supposed to be there. I just want to be back in the fire. Mm-hmm. And uh uh it's it's a pretty good city to be back in the fire. And I know that and I'm I, I promise you and I promise the people I'm going to do everything I can to make this the best team that you're proud of. Yeah. I'll make mistakes. You're going to be mad at certain times. That's all part of it. I get it. Uh, I'm just going to give you everything I have. And then I'm just going to give you two more because I know you have a couple yeah. couple yeah. other of these to do. Um, when it comes to, and I know you mentioned this downstairs, so if you want it off the record, we can cut it yeah. totally from the interview, but you mentioned downstairs that you already have, like, camp essentially yes. programmed. Did you do that, like, before you got the job? Did you do that just in the past week? Were you starving to, to get to do that work? When did that? When did you program an entire camp? I did not. I did not do it until I got the job. Okay. I'm working off. My camps are my camps. I have a pretty good uh, template to work off of. I'm just plugging in different things. Uh, they've taken away some of the things you can, as far as some testing you can do at camp. Mm-hmm. Players Association has, has changed that. Uh, yeah, I'm. Since since Chuck and I agreed, I, I just wanted straight. I just wanted straight in my head how camp is going to be. I got the numbers from a, a pretty good number that we're going to have as far as players in camp, and uh, I just spent some time doing it. I I, I want to see it, and uh, I want Chuck to see it. it. It it got to the point in Columbus, my last team. I was there six years. It was bang 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 after the first year. This is my first year here. I just want to. I want to do it now because I know in July when I look at it again, in August, I'll make some changes. There may be problems with times or whatever it may be. I just want to have it in front of me so I know it's completed and I can fine-tune it as we go through the next couple of months. And then finally, and this is probably like the toughest question of the day, when you were able to, especially given that there's a coaching change mid-season, watch the Flyers as they progress through an incredibly difficult last Mm -hmm. season for many varied reasons, mm-hmm. what do you feel like if you had to give a diagnosis? What was the main issue you saw? And now, as the coach, what is your remedy for that issue? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is the toughest question because then I am, I'm kind of chucking things from the cheap seats because mm-hmm. when I was watching games and I was doing TV, I'm watching multiple games at a time. Mm-hmm. I'm not just watching the Flyers. I didn't watch one Flyer game for the full 60 minutes, so it's hard to me to make a judgment on that. I know in, in my process, a very extensive process with Chuck, I know how they feel about it, how, uh, what, 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 it what went wrong and what they feel the, the team is right now. Um, I can sense, I'll tell you this, I'll give you this, I can sense that the locker room's a bit splintered 
Mm. It's not together. Um, that's my number one goal right now is we can't do anything right on the ice unless we're together in that locker room. And uh, that's a very important part uh, of the first piece of work I need to do is to, is to get everybody that, to believe uh, that we're together. You can't. It's a team sport. I think it's a bit splintered and just, just, just my gut feeling as I've gone through the process here. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events... You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. So much personality from John Tortorella. He certainly has a Philly vibe to him. And so many things stuck out about that interview. I really enjoyed how you can tell why he he pushes people, why he wants athletes to reach a different level. And I, I thought it was really telling that he said, if people fall off the bus, so be it. That's his way. He's going to push, push, push and see who embraces it and who doesn't. Cam Atkinson alluded to that as well, that – Guys are probably anxious going into camp, but that's a good thing. Taryn, I know you certainly had plenty of takeaways. What was your biggest one from that? Uh, the last answer was huge for me. Um, I didn't expect him to say that, to be quite honest. I had also heard things behind the scenes that would allude to that kind of comment being true um, in the past, but nothing that was really like goes on record is something that we would talk about like in, in this venue without a player saying it or a coach saying it. So for him to say that he felt like the locker room was splintered, I think that was really interesting that he went head on right at that. And that's what we know about John Tortorella. That's what he'll do. Because I do think that's an issue that kind of plagued this team that causes <clears throat> much bigger issues than just what it is. Not that there's, um, like riffs, but I think the team, the structure of the team was stripped down so immensely so early on injuries that it very quickly became everybody as an individual just trying to survive through the season, just basically get through it. Um, and that does, it starts to splinter you because individually you, you handle that, just that uphill battle. And I think it's that struggle, um, I think a lot of times it's a lot easier to deal with it or it feels like it's less of a task to deal with it on your own maybe. Um, and especially when there were so many people coming in and coming out, it's not like the team as a whole just struggled and they could lean on each other. It was new faces in the lineup every night, new faces falling out of the lineup every night. And so for him to talk about, you know, he felt like the main issue was the team essentially being kind of fractured um, I would say it's kind of corny, but like spirit wise being fractured as a group um, and that he just acknowledged it from the get go. 
I think that's huge because then you can address it from the get go in camp as well, which is you guys didn't have, you didn't have, like they didn't, they were missing pieces of the skeleton, like big pieces of the skeleton all the time. There was never really the full body to put together. And now you have an opportunity to try to mend all of the parts that were missing or broken and really put something together. Uh, so that's what jumped out at me because I think we know a lot of the other stuff, right? We know John Tortorella. I think that Northeast background that he has just as a person is going to fit Philadelphia. You know, we're fiery, we're passionate here. Um, and we prefer, I think as a city, we prefer <clears throat> blunt honesty um, and straightforwardness in people more than like being polite or, or putting on airs or whatever. And we know John Tortorella comes with that. I also think, and I, and I do, a lot of people I talk to, so I certainly wasn't surprised by this. He mentioned the press conference as well. The other big question about John Tortorella is, is this guy who's been in coaching for forever really going to be the guy who's great for a young team when the NHL and the game itself has changed so much in the way players are brought up in the way players are trained their whole life, in the way players come into the league, the average age in the league, the way camps are run, the way practices run, the way the game is played, all of that. And it's nice to hear Tortorella acknowledge um, pretty aggressively, like I, I have learned from players as much as players have learned from me. And if you don't think I you know, took the year away from coaching and learned even more, then hopefully you'd be incorrect. Um, he, he wants to prove to people, I think, that he can be the same old school coach in, in terms of accountability, enforcement, responsibility, and also be progressive in terms of how he handles certain things. Um, but the number one thing was just him talking about the locker room being split or the dressing room being splintered. I thought that was... Um, you can know that that's true. Like you can hear rumblings about that being true, but it's all—it's very rarely acknowledged. Like even in cases when you know it's true, it's usually acknowledged after the fact, after the team gets out of the woods, after the season is over. You, you really don't generally have players or coaches talk about just things not being copacetic in a dressing room. Um, so that was really interesting to me. Not, and again, not that there were rifts or there were, was infighting. I had not heard that. Um, just mainly that it was like disjointed a little bit um, or not a little bit, but uh, yeah, it was very interesting to hear him say that that's the vibe that he got um, and something that he wants to address from the junk, because I think that's, that'd be good for the team if they can do that. Flyers Talk is brought to you by Gray Railing. Stop into Gray Railing for the highest quality and lowest prices on all your railing, decking, and fencing needs. Certainly, when you hear that from the head coach, absolutely, Taryn, it opens your ears. And you think about it, last year they didn't have Sean Couturier in that locker room for a large chunk of the season. Ryan Ellis was hardly there. Claude Drew then gets traded. Kevin Hayes was in and out of the lineup. So, yeah, I, I feel like there was no togetherness really in that locker room. Uh, and that will be, a, I think, a tall task for John Tortorello to certainly form an identity there. Um, and I feel like Tortorello is going to make things uncomfortable around here. And I feel like that's what Chuck Fletcher wanted. Perhaps things got too comfortable around here. Uh, my, my concern is how much uh, how much can you 
push that message and that uncomfortable feeling. Uh, I, I feel like Elaine Vigneault did that in year one. He, he had people feeling uncomfortable and and wanting to prove themselves. But I feel like that last, there's a clock on that. And, and I think that will be John Tortorella's challenge here is he's going to get guys uh, to really be pushing hard, I think, in year one. But how long can his message resonate? I think that will be the real challenge. Joe, how do you feel about that? How, how, what did you really take away from the Tortorella interview uh, and what he's going to do here in Philly in year one. I'm always impressed with his, and I say always, he's been this way, but particularly from his press conference and obviously the interview with Taryn, his willingness to just say, I'm going to be me and this is how it is. Um, because I, I liked how he says he, he's, he doesn't agree with the player's coach, the hard coach, like the, the labels that get put on these coaches because – I feel like we've heard a lot about that over the last few years with the Flyers in particular. We've heard a lot about, well, they needed this kind of coach and they needed that kind of coach. I I think a coach that comes in with their style and sticks to it is what this team needs. And clearly, um, you know, he was well-versed on what went on with this team last year um, as Taryn was talking about you know, the last answer that he gave about, you know, what was wrong with the team. I mean, he was, he was well-versed and obviously guys like Cam Atkinson, who he has a previous relationship, I'm sure shed some light on that. Um, the other thing that stuck out to me is his whole talk about the, the 2004 series where he was, when he eventually went on to win the Stanley cup with Tampa Bay and how they went through the flyers in the Eastern conference finals and his whole talk about how, the league basically changed after that year uh, with the strike the next year. And then, uh, you know, kind of the rules changed and things like that. It's very interesting to me because I, I brought up on our last show that I feel like the last time the Flyers had a coach that was uh, sort of in your face, if they played bad, he was going to say it kind of a, a, a almost appointment television soundbite was Ken Hitchcock, who was the coach of that Flyers team. And I know one of our colleagues spoke with Ken Hitchcock, who, um, you know, reflected on that season and said that if not for injuries, that the Flyers, he thought the Flyers were going to win the cup that year. And, um, you know, the the Simone Gagne overtime goal in game six of that year that sent it to game seven, which the Flyers immensely lost, um, is hands down one of the biggest goals in Flyers playoff history, definitely in Wells Fargo Center Core State Center, Wachovia Center, whatever you want to call it, history. And um, so I found his thoughts to be very interesting about how the league changed after that. Um, but this is a guy that has a deep understanding of this league um, and the ebbs and flows and how things have changed and and really give, I think he gives you a throwback style with some modern like tweaks in it. And I think that's a good mix. I think that's, that's going to be, uh, he, he'll be well-received here um, by players and, and the fans, obviously. Um, once we get into the season and we start to see it, I think people will be happy. 
I think people certainly uh, like to hear that he's, he, he feels he's learned throughout his whole coaching process. Obviously, with Tampa, he was a lot younger when he won the Stanley Cup in 2004, and he feels he's learned a lot as a head coach. Taryn, how, how much did you enjoy that he enjoyed being heckled by Philadelphia during that series? Uh, I think, honestly, he just – it just goes into that kind of what I was saying before about – I think he he's comes in really understanding what Philly is going to be like, not in a way where he's seen it and he's experienced it as an opposing coach. I think given his background, he's probably like experienced it in his home with his family and his friends. Like that's the way that we act at games. I feel like as fans, as people in Philly, is also the way, like, if you're at a, a house party with your friends and they're playing beer pong and they're playing bad, like, it's the same way. Not that I do that anymore because I'm old now, but, like, it's the same thing. You experience it every day and you get used to it and you kind of become immune to it in a certain way. Like, I think he's experienced a lot of that in his life, so I think he leads into it. Like, I kind of love when I can – when I meet somebody and I can chirp with them right away. Right. Because that's kind of like our love language here in Philly. I feel like he understands that as well, that you're going to get broken down shift by shift for every single thing that happens in the game. And you'll get a lot of love if you're successful, but even if you do better, but it's not success yet, you, you might not get credit here. Like that's not how it goes. You don't get a C and it's better than an F and everybody gives you a gold star. But I think he knows that on like a very personal part of his character kind of a level that he understands in the rest of his life. And I think that story is a great example of that, where it's like, I lean into that. I like that. And I genuinely, it's not an act. I feel like we've, I've seen so many press conferences and I've done so many interviews where coaches say the right thing and they want you to believe it. And it's always, oh, I love Philly. Like as much as they'll hate you when you're bad, they'll love you when they're good. And, and you know that some of these guys, like so, sometimes it's, it's a thing they say because they know we want to hear it. It's said frequently at all these introductory press conferences. I've heard it a million times. Some guys really do like that, though, and some guys really don't, but they say it. And in talking to him off camera before the interview and then during the interview and then after the interview, I get the sense that he genuinely kind of, he gets it. He's very well aware of what he is tasked with, A, and what comes with that, the reaction B. Um, and I think he kind of thrives off of it. Now, if they don't end up fixing things, he won't thrive off of it. But I think he thrives off of the idea of like, these are people that are really going to care, good or bad. And I would rather have that than like disinterest overall. Um, so yeah, I, th I thought that story was kind of the perfect example of, you know, love me or hate me. I I'm gonna take the attention and make the most of it. Um, so yeah, it's, it is interesting. And I will say that, like, I feel, I felt the same sometimes like in the press conference and stuff when we're over zoom and he's at his house and it's a perfect background or whatever, the whole setup. Um, by the way, I just got a breaking news that Arch uh, Manning committed to Texas. So for those of you who are into college football, 
just got a text about it. Um, but, um, but when you're actually sitting there talking to him, he's kind of like, yeah, I know. I know I'm going to, if they're not good, like people are going to let me know how they feel about how I've led them to not be good. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that. I think that story plays into that awareness and the preparedness for it. And Taryn, he told you he, he's on the back nine right now in his coaching career. So you you know he's going to cherish this opportunity. It's not just another job to him. It's, you know, he's admitting that, yeah, you know, he, he turned 64 on Friday. And this is a job he's really going to cherish and relish. And I think those are good things, especially for a guy that's already ultra motivated, uh, ultra competitive. So it's, he it's left crazy. TV to do this. TV, we, yeah. I do TV. TV, like, yeah, people have opinions and stuff. TV is so much easier. It's so much easier to sit there and be on TV and talk about the game than be an active participant in the game. The, yeah. the criticisms are so much more superficial. They're so much more infrequent. We are such an accessory to the main event. Like, and he left that, and I don't know what ESPN paid him. I haven't looked it up, and I don't even know if it's public information, but I'm sure it was a fair amount of money. He left that to get back into coaching and to get back into coaching in a difficult situation. Like, if you don't think he felt like he could do it, he could do what he needs. Like, you don't do that. You would just stay doing your ESPN job whenever you have to go watch the games, collect your checks, and go home. It's a, it's a much, you can ask Jonesy about it. Like I've asked Jones, I, I mentioned the interview. I've asked Jonesy about, would you ever want to be in a front office? He said, no, I'd rather do TV. TV's, yeah. it, it, it's kind of only, it, it's may, mostly, most of the time, it's only positive. And he doesn't have a Twitter. So for him, it's all positive. Like the stakes are much lower and the enjoyment is, is even higher. Um, but he left that to do this, which makes me think that he really thinks there's meat on the bone for this team and that he can cultivate something that can be special. So we'll see. Yeah, that's why these people get paid the big bucks, right? Uh, because the job's not easy. It's pressure filled. It it welcomes criticism and scrutiny and all that stuff. Uh, but I mean, if you win, it's a pretty special gig. Uh, Joe, do you do you feel like his message will have staying power here in Philly uh, and, and with his players? I, I do think it'll have staying power because it seems like the overall theme that he brings is we need to be hard to play against. And I think we've heard the leaders of this team say that that's what's been lacking the last two seasons with this team is that they were not hard to play against. Um, so, you know, there is this kind of – and there was this um, – there was always this – talk surrounding Peter Laviolette that his style eventually wears wears on people because they 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 coach hard and I I don't know I mean do you like Torts mentioned the other day in his press conference do you hear players coming out and saying this coach wore on me and I'm saying whether it be Tortorella Laviolette or anybody else you don't hear that now, I understand players aren't going to burn bridges while they're already while they're still in the league, but you know, I I, I don't know. I I, just, I don't buy it either. Um, so, you know, to be fair, to one guy did. Who was it that tweeted that? Tweeted oh, Brandon Dubinsky. Yeah, I was going to say to but be if, fair, there was one tweet, but, but 
But if you remember, Taryn, I think Scott told us a little bit about Brandon Dubinsky behind the scenes when we were in the office. And I, I think he probably brought a lot of that on himself. It sounds well, like so. And to be honest, like I've talked to plenty of players, past, current, whatever. I I have never I did I say this on the last podcast? I don't remember if I said this on the last podcast or when I was like talking to my dad or whatever. If I talk to every player on a team about their one of their previous coaches or current coach or whatever. Usually half the team will have a have a favorable opinion on certain things and an unfavorable opinion on others. And the other half will have the complete opposite. And it's generally who cut playing time, who put you on the power play, who did it. Like it's very nuanced and it's not like people act like other coaches get a hundred percent approval ratings and then John Tortorella gets you know, whatever, 50% criticism or whatever you want to say. I can tell you, players, when they're not on camera, when they're just talking about their experiences with coaches, A, there is a critique of every single coach that they've had, usually that they took them off the power play. And B, it's never 100% one way or 100% the other way. I think John Tortorella invites maybe public criticism more so because he's very public in his criticism of players in terms of accountability and you assume that that's not – and he does it in a very blunt way. But, like, here in Philly, when A.V. was in his first season and he criticized JVR and Jake Voracek and said, you know, the guys who make the big money need to make the big plays kind of a thing, you would have thought people were going to throw him, like, a ticker tape parade. It was like, oh, accountability, accountability, accountability. That's what Torts does 24-7 unintentionally. It's not a PR move. It's not – a tactic it's who he is and i think that invites more public criticism of him but i'll tell you right now like if you were to anonymously ask the flyers to grade you know elaine vino or dave hackstall or whoever how do you think those grades would come back just just a, a thought like that's always the conversation with people where it's like, oh, he grates on players. Oh, he does this. Oh, he does that. Oh, whatever. I've heard criticisms of, you know, Dave Hacksaw's practices were quite slow. There was a lot of sitting and talking and this and that and whatever. And that was Dave's style. That's he's, I think he probably got that from college where there's a lot of teaching and so on and so forth. AV was very quick, rapid pace, this, that, and the next thing. And then there were other criticisms I heard behind the scenes last year. Mike Yo is a really, really well-liked guy. But as well-liked as he was, it wasn't like the team, you know, banded together and figured it out for Mike. Like, every single coach is going to come with criticisms. And I, it's kind of strange to me when people pretend like John Tortorella is the only coach that a player ever disliked. Um, it's weird. It's like a weird it's a weird suspended reality conversation that I've kind of had with a few people where I'm just like, who, who do you love as a coach? And do you think he has zero criticisms? Cause I will tell you, he does not. Yeah. And think back to our last podcast when we had Cam Atkinson on Cam talked about when he got benched. And I, I just know from looking back, I believe Cam was the leading scorer on Columbus when he got benched in that particular incident that um, we were, he was referring to. And, you know, and, and he talked about how he learned from that. And he didn't say, like, what a jerk. He, I mean, he said it in the podcast, I believe, that he wasn't skating hard or there was 
specific things that let this, you know, that cause this. Um, the same thing, you can go back with some of the players that we know that Tortorella had riffs with. Ryan Johansson, I know, is one of them. And Ryan Johansson ended up getting traded to Nashville. Um, you know, it's generally like guys aren't playing hard or, you know, they're they're not skating. It's It's things that virtually every coach would be disgusted with. There's just some coaches that act on it differently than other coaches. And Torch seems to be one of those guys that when he doesn't like something, he acts on it and he does it right away. And it doesn't matter if you have 50 goals or five, he's going to treat you the same way, which I think that um, is something that players will respect, that everyone gets treated on an equal playing field and you don't get the preferential treatment because you're the first line center as opposed to the third line center or whatever the case may be. I think the one thing John Tugarello will have going for him is that the entire roster should be sick of the last two seasons and how they went. You have young kids that probably feel like they should be playing and ready to play a role in this thing being turned around. And you have some vets who are probably tired of losing and, and want to be pushed. So I think that's one thing Tortorella will have going for him, and it'll certainly be fascinating to see his tough, hard-nosed way and how players still play for him and want to play for him and how it all comes together. But terrific stuff from John Tortorella with our very own Taryn Hatcher. Taryn, thank you so much for the interview. Really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed discussing it. Uh, and we can't wait to hear more uh, from the head coach throughout the season. Joe Forex, thank you so much as always. Great seeing you, great chatting with you. A special thank you to Ben Barry, our podcast producer and guru. And Flyers fans, of course, as always, thank you for listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Railing. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate and listen. And we can't wait to talk to you next time. Five-star rating, John.